Welcome to Rough Drafts, How God Writes His Love in Our Stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell. And in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They are just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. How to introduce today's guest? That is the question. Uh, A lot of times when I see her, she's in her man cave, uh, hiding where she rules the roost at CareNet Pregnancy Center. She is a fan of things terrible, especially if they are towels and from Pittsburgh. Black and yellow. Specific. Not gold. So you're judging by color. Correct. You're a racist. Well, because people think it's black and gold, that is Vanderbilt. And that's another losing team. (laughs) That's correct. Well, they're with the other three listeners. Today's guest is Margaret Cole, my friend. You guys are going to enjoy hearing from her so much. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you for having me. I I love coming and speaking on the radio. I'm not afraid of the mic. Well, I have been told I have the perfect face for radio. So here we are. You know, yay! Uh, Everybody's first question is: uh, There's no video to this, right? So that's that's uh, that's really good. There are so many ways that we could introduce you, uh, and so many things that we could talk about: selling uh, doors, uh, working. CareNet, all of your involvement in community, nonprofits, and just all the good things. I don't know. What do you want to tell us? Well, a lot of people do not realize. Well, I think you can find out where I grew up. I am a native of Western Pennsylvania, which is all things Pittsburgh. And I grew up in a small town, Union Town. It's just easier to say I'm from Pittsburgh. And I grew up in the 70s. And oh, we were to figure out how old you are. Right. Okay, check. We legitimately one year were the uh, world champions because we won the Stanley Cup. We won the Super Bowl and we won the World Series all in one year. But what about cricket? No. NASCAR? No. Okay, well, call me back when you get those two. Or basketball. I mean, I'm soccer. really not a basket person. Basketball. You're person. not a basket person. No, I'm not a basket person. I'm not a soccer person. But if you if you've been around me long enough, you will realize that I am a sports fanatic. Always have been. My parents were sports fanatics. So that is how I became a all things Pittsburgh. So I grew up in a like not a, it was not a small town. It was a pretty big town. If you would put maybe Dixon was my city. Okay. Um the whole county. Gotcha. Um but collectively we probably had close to 200,000 hmm. okay. in in our county. Um it is kind of funny when you think about Fayette County in Pennsylvania. It's kind of like the Hickman County of this area. Okay, there were our other four listeners. I know. You know. <laughs> But for me to gr- for me to grow up there, not even imagining living in Tennessee, growing up, my idea of the South was hee-haw. Well, I mean, you're not far off from Hickman County, so. 
so that was my, I never would have imagined living here. And probably the closest country would have been Morgantown, West Virginia, because I was close enough to Pittsburgh and Morgantown. So I would go in between University of Pittsburgh and WVU. So I would go both places. So that's great. That's why I love living in Dixon, because I'm I love my country, but I'm close enough to the city. Yeah. And I'm not afraid of going into the city and walking down Broadway, walking right. down Second Avenue. That does not intimidate me whatsoever. You just wish we had an Olive Garden and a Chick-fil-A no. in Publix. Maybe a not Olive Garden. That's not authentic. No, I'm just making fun of the hip dicks and boast. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, there's so many people who think that would be the, the pinnacle of civilization for Dixon. No. Yeah. There's better. We need a Maggiano's. Every, oh, well, that would be nice. I've got a Maggiano's date coming up. You should come with us. I will. Just tell me when. I don't remember, but I'll tell you. <laughs> actually, I sort of remember, but I don't know what I should say because I don't know when this episode comes out. It may be after the fact. Um, so growing up in Pennsylvania, it was a different world at that time. It's nothing like it is today where we legitimately, I lived in a very, I lived on a block. All of the neighbors knew each other. We hung out together. We, you know, did not come in until the um, the lights came on, the street lights came on. So I grew up in a very close-knit community. It's nothing like here where in order, well, of course, I don't live in the city. So we live out in the country. But it, you know, it takes you 10 minutes to get to work. When before, where I grew up, I was a walker for high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, my high school was right across the, the road from me up on a hill. So that was, it was a very close-knit. I was the baby. There's five of us. So when my mom and dad had me, they were in their mid-30s, and I was the last one. So I grew, I had a very loving family. Mom and dad were great. But I was the kid that had no boundaries. Mm-hmm. I had no rules, so I did whatever I wanted with whomever I wanted, whenever I wanted, and wherever I wanted. And that hasn't changed, right? <laughs> I have boundaries. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, it was something where I, and I was a rebellious kid, what the Margaret you see now is not the Margaret then. The Lord did a lot of changes in my heart many, many, many years later. Yeah. But growing up, it was not the South. I remember when I first moved here and I heard the word, are you saved? Yeah. I'm going saved from what? I never heard that terminology. I grew up in a predominantly Catholic town. Yeah. Where you were either Protestant or you're a Catholic. Well, maybe a bad Southern minister just point out that I don't know that Jesus ever used that term either. But that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, isn't it funny how churches have this this insider language? Um, and that is was very difficult for me when I started seeking the Lord. And I'm sure we'll get to that story, but the verbiage that people would use, I think I would just go along with the flow, but have no idea what they're talking about. 
it's funny. I, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Nashville. I grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. I have not wandered that far. I mean, there's some people who think I'm a heretic, but whatever. Um, but, you know, um, the language that, that is the kind of Southern st- standard idioms for Jesus, I don't really love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't joking when I said Jesus didn't really use that language. Right. You know, there's not a verse in the Bible where someone makes a decision for Jesus. Um, you know, uh, there's no getting saved. There's no altar right. call. There's no what's... You know, there, there's no peer pressure. There's no hell's gates and heaven flames. There's, you know, there's, it's do I want to be a follower of this Messiah or not? Right. And I sort of wish we'd recalibrate some of that. I don't think we realize how not quite helpful some of that language is. And honestly, going back to my childhood, I had my grandmother lived with us my entire life. She, I am her namesake. Uh, I'm Margaret L. and she's Margaret Ann. Okay. Um, and so she lived with us and she was a, she would love to read the Bible and pray. So that was my visual of seeing a godly woman. Did she make sure that I was reading the Bible and understanding it? I don't think so. It was kind of her thing, but not it was her, her thing, thing she taught you. I don't ever remember growing up in elementary school, middle school, high school, being evangelized. That is something where I feel like down here, it is something that becomes natural. Yeah. And sharing the love of Jesus, sharing the gospel, being disciple. I don't ever remember that. I don't ever remember being invited to any type of a youth group any type of a youth function. Now, was I? I could have been, but I don't... Just don't remember it. I don't remember that. It didn't make an impact if you were. No, no. And not saying that I wasn't the best student in school. You weren't. No. I just knew you were a four O person. <laughs> you had too much fun, didn't you? I did. <laughs> it was before attendance was such a huge thing. Oh, they're kind of Nazis about that stuff now. Going back, our, of course, we'll get to where who I married and, and all that, but my daughter found my uh, high school transcript and she was like, Mom, what? I think I missed 45 days <laughs> as a senior and my my grades were not up to par. Margaret, Margaret, there is a simple scriptural saying for this. D's get degrees. Okay. You know. But what about F's? Yeah, they don't. No. So I always wanted to be, I wanted to go to culinary school. Really? That was something that I loved food. I loved to cook. My first job at 14 was Dunkin' Donuts. Ah. That's where the love of coffee comes from. And then I worked at a authentic Italian restaurant, and I worked for a mom and pop where I learned how to just throw stuff together. Where my this was my my measuring cup was my hand. Your hand, you just you could feel what a cup you was. Kind of like a Rachel Ray, you know. You just knew. Um, I'm going to need that in milliliters, please. Because yes. <laughs> you know I have to follow what the recipe says. No, that's why. Um, no science. I can't. But the bad thing about it is, if you cook it once and you don't really measure things, it's never going to be the same. 
Leslie and I went to a pasta class, not the one here in Dixon. Uh, we hope to do that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the lady in there was trying to explain to us how the humidity and the heat and all that changes everything. I thought, if, if, if I'm going to need to know this to cook this food, it ain't going to happen. Right, you know? right. But that's something that I always wanted to do. Yeah. And the plan was to go to the University of Pittsburgh. I I went and I, I met with the scouting person. Of course, we didn't get to the grades point at that yet. <laughs> but I wanted to go to the University of Pittsburgh. And at the time, my mom and dad, we just... I didn't realize growing up, we lived paycheck to paycheck. I had no clue. They never showed that right. to me. But we they couldn't afford University of Pittsburgh. So there was a community college that they said that I would need to go to. And I was like, well, if I can't go to the University of Pittsburgh, I'm not going anywhere. Okay. And I didn't. I did graduate high school. I remember we, uh, my um, high school, you graduated in the auditorium. There was no stadium yeah. that we graduated in. You got two tickets. Okay. My dad, like we have Dixon and we have Creekwood. So my dad was like the Creekwood and I went to Dixon. So there was Laurel Highlands where I went to. My dad was a teacher at Uniontown. Okay. He had a graduating senior class that year. So he didn't get to go to my graduation um, my boyfriend and my mom at the time came. And when you graduate, you really don't get your diploma. Right. I mean, you get, or did I get the, I can't remember. We got like a placeholder thing. I think so. All I remember is I opened it up and I looked at my mom and I gave her thumbs up that there's a diploma in there. We didn't know yeah. if I was going to actually graduate. And this is something I am not proud of. But it's my story. Hey, Brooke is already uh, out of high school, so you can tell the story. Yes, if you want. yes. So there I am. I graduate. And then I'm like, okay, what do I do now? Because I'm not going to University of Pittsburgh. I'm not going to the community college. Right. So I thought, okay. So at that time, medical transcription was a pretty big thing. Yeah. Where um, doctors would dictate their notes and that you would. So I went to the a little business school. I don't even know where, what comparative for this area. I went there. It was the uh, fall of 90 or the, the spring of 90. I can't remember. But. That was um, spring of 90 was when, when you I were... finished kindergarten. <laughs> Felt like I needed to throw that out. Yes, I know. A lot of people don't realize how old I am because I don't act it. There you go. So here I am. I'm going to um, this community college or wherever you business school. And then my brother was in the Navy. And then he's over in Ismore, Turkey. And his best friend and him are snorkeling over in Ismar. So my brother said, well, I'm going to write my sister a letter because that was before anything digital. Right. So here he is writing me a letter. And then this country boy by the name of David Cole decides to write me a letter too. So this was June of 90. So if this were a movie, this is when that like sad, scary music starts to play. Yes. You know that something has gone terribly wrong in this story. So David wrote, writes me a letter. And I'm not 
technically shared this publicly, but enough people know about it. I was in a dating relationship for five years. His name was Dave. Oh, no. So, but it was a, he was like a bad habit. It, he was not healthy. We were not in a good, good space. So David writes me a letter. And it came at the right time. He wrote me a letter, and he actually included his Navy picture. <laughs> I have it. That's actually the one that we did for a Veterans Day. I okay. posted you it, put it on Facebook. Yes, I you? put it on Facebook. So, okay, he writes me a letter. Okay. I'm like, and you you saw that picture, and you wrote him back. I did. I wrote him back. <laughs> wow, love is blind, David. So this was June. So this was July, August, and they were out to sea, and David's ship was going to be coming in off of a six-month deployment, and that was going to be in September. So it was like two or three days after my birthday, Pennsylvania. We drive to Charleston, South Carolina, my parents and I and my brother, and we're down there, and his ship pulls in. And so he wants to meet this, this girl from Pennsylvania that's his best friend's sister. I was just turned 19. Okay. Um, so he sees me for the first time. He was up on the ship where he was up on like what three or four flights up. And he looked at his one friend and was like, she looks too wild for me. You take her out. <laughs> wow. Yes. But I, we meet, we have, I mean, we, we have fun. We go out to dinner. We do this. We do everything. So that was September 7th-ish. So a date that will live in infamy. Yes. So two weeks later, um, my brother is driving up to Pennsylvania to see my mom and dad. So David's like, well, I'll come too. So David came to visit me. And the next thing on, this was right before his birthday. So that was about September 25th. He goes home. All of a sudden, and honestly, I don't remember when, how, how it all happened. Next thing I know, we're getting married. <laughs> okay, you don't remember how you're getting married. Did he roofie you? Well, I don't know. I <laughs> um, don't know. All I know is there was some type of moral compass in me yeah. where I told my mom, we went out to lunch the one day, and I was like, Mom, I don't want to just move to Charleston and just live with him yeah and where that moral compass came from i don't know right so i said you know what i think it might be something that maybe we need to get married wow. and mom and dad knew david before i did they met him two years before i did and not that they did not approve of the relationship with the five-year guy yeah but they saw the they knew it wasn't great they knew it wasn't great and Honestly, David was my ticket out of Pennsylvania because mm. it was, I didn't want to be around that anymore. Yeah. I didn't want to be in the, the on again, off again with dude. Yeah. I really didn't. So here is my fresh start. Okay. So I pack up all of my belongings, which wasn't much. Yeah. You know, met him in September and married him in November. Wowzers. So we had a two-month engagement. I don't recommend that. Worked for you. But it, it worked. Yeah. 
Because I think what happened was David realized that Margaret is Margaret and he's not going to try to change me. Yeah. And growing up in such a non-spiritual town, I don't even know how to explain it. I feel like that town is so oppressive. Every time I go back, you just feel the the heaviness of yeah. the lack of Jesus focus. Yeah. It's nothing like it is here. Where there is that the spirit is alive, the spirit is breathing. You walk into this church here, it burns, and you're like, oh, I feel it. Yeah. You know, it's it I, I can't explain it until you feel it's like if you go to a going on a mission trip. Right. If you feel the oppression, it's real. Yeah. And not that my hometown is not a, there's just that heaviness and I, I can't explain it. Yeah. So here I am transplant. Now, granted, moving to Charleston, South Carolina, that's a melting pot. It was yeah. a Navy town. So David got hometown recruiting. So oh, cool. back in. I guess it was June of 91, he got the opportunity to be active duty Navy here. Cool. Because there's not a lot of Navy in Dixon. No, you know? not at all. You're not on the aircraft carrier on the harpet. You right. Know? So not only were we you know, like active duty Navy here, yeah. but talk about culture shock. Oh, boy. For me... From you know, Char from Pennsylvania to Charleston, South Carolina to Charlotte, Tennessee, was we we moved in one of those little apartments yeah. right there. I guess it's right by the the new um, Justice Center. Yeah, where the new Justice Spring Center Street or uh, I think Water maybe Street. might have been Spring Street yeah. apartment. So that was our first apartment. We were only there for maybe a month, and then we bought a house out in Van Leer. Oh, how fun! So that was my first. Um, experience with living in a town of less than 400 people yeah so and just trying to understand the culture because it's a different culture mm -hmm. and I, I sometimes i felt like i was i was moved to a foreign country i could see that because i mean you know kind of industrial northeast meets van leer whose biggest export is I mean, they didn't have Dollar Generals back then, so mm -hmm. I don't know what it was. Uh, dirt? I mean, I don't know. And Van Leer's a cool little town, but it's, it is. it's nothing. Man, I wish we had that property. Yeah, I bet you do. Edward, if like you only knew what we paid for a house <laughs> in 13 acres back then. Okay, what'd you pay? Can I be $33,000. Um, <laughs> you could have paid that per acre today. I know. Yeah. I know. So we, we weren't out there very long. Um, so... Back in, I guess it was 92, we got pregnant. Okay. And did not realize I was pregnant and my grandmother passed away. Oh. So that would have been in June of 92. So, and that was hard because I was, grandma lived with us my entire life. I was her namesake. So we drove up to Pennsylvania not knowing that I was I was pregnant and came back from the funeral. It was awful, 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 and came back and then realized I was pregnant. And I 
went to Fort Campbell because I had to go to Fort Campbell because we were active duty Navy. And I went and that's when I was supposedly 13 weeks. I went by myself. David was recruiting. He was busy. I didn't think he needed to be there with me. But when we did the ultrasound, something happened in my eighth week. So I was carrying, I lost our baby at eight weeks, but I was, my body was thinking that I was 13 weeks pregnant. Ooh. So here I am, my support system, my mom and dad, they're still up in Pennsylvania. Couldn't get a hold of David. He was doing an ASVAB test. Um, that was before cell phones. So here I am trying to figure out, and not that I don't want to dog Fort Campbell, but at that time it was not a, they sent me home on a Friday and said, let's go ahead and have you come back on Monday. And if there's no change in your blood work, then we'll need to do a DNC. So here. And to get that news alone. In a military base surrounded by strangers. Correct. Oh. And, you know, that was the first time I ever saw David break down. Because if you've ever been around David, I mean, he is this upbeat. It doesn't matter when you see him. He greets you with top of the morning to you. Correct. David, it's midnight, Sunshine. You know. <laughs> yeah. He is just a joy. Yeah. Oh, I said nice things. About I, didn't do that. I know. So this was something that we desired, yeah. this child. So here we are this weekend, just not knowing even how to function. Yeah. And I get to Fort Campbell on that Monday, and I just felt like I was not seen. I was not... There was very little compassion in it's that. cattle being hurt right. through where I felt like I had to tell my story four times over and over again. And so that was hard. So I understand the the loss, the um the the perinatal loss is real and it is something that you cannot not remember. I wanna come come right back to this moment, but mm-hmm. I want to take a little aside on this yeah. and just say I was reading this guy, Richard Beck, um, a psychologist out of Abilene, and he talked about how much of the harm that gets done in society gets done when our systems fail to see people as people. Yeah. And they just get pushed through, you know, the way you get treated when you call Comcast. Mm -hmm. You know, that's everybody's joke. But the dehumanizing way, we are a number at the bank. We are a number at the credit card company, at the car dealer. And uh, he kind of argued that that dehumanizing Mm -hmm. is actually one of the most evil things that we do every day and we don't realize it, especially in the medical world. And I'm not saying that the people who treated you were bad people or anything Mm -hmm. like that, but the system was a bad system. And it it hurt you. It victimized you every time you had to tell that story you didn't need to. And you don't, you don't talk about it. No. You don't, because people don't know how, and of course I didn't have that support system. I didn't have a church. I had an ombudsman. Okay. If you're in the military or the, um, definitely the Navy, that was like a, a, a pastor or a preacher where somebody that kind of shepherds you through 
your in the system kind of sort of but i still felt like i didn't have the the pre-care aftercare zero care yeah it was like oh you could have another one i'm like i don't want another one i want this one right <laughs> right so you know tying what i do with carenet now is huge but i didn't understand the love of life and the love of the sanctity of life until you desired life. And I, going back, growing up, you know, the sanctity of life was never, I've never heard that word or valuing life for, I, I didn't grow up with Planned Parenthood. It was called something else, but it was like family planning where it was on the corner. I didn't know they were doing abortions there. I had no clue. Yeah. Um. But now that where I'm walking this this path through CareNet, going, wow, did I have any because of my ignorance of the sanctity of life? Did I have any part in somebody having an abortion? And I know I'm just totally pivoting on our talk, I but I have to go back and think. I was the my body, my choice. Yeah. No no man can tell me what to do. Right. But And to tell you the truth, there's some of that that I I can still appreciate right. to a degree. Right. I just know that there's more to the equation than me. Right. You know. So just you want to talk about when we first became pregnant with Brooke. My nerves were through the roof. I bet. David couldn't come with me that day. Oh, no. Probably another ASVAB test. I have no idea. But his sister came with me. Oh. And I remember just the nerves and then seeing Brooke for the first time on the ultrasound. That first ultrasound is sweet. Wow. Yeah. I was elated because... You know, a year, uh, yeah, a year and a half earlier, I was not allowed to see the ultrasound. So in my mind, I was doing, are you sure that I lost that baby? Or did you take that baby from me? Because I never saw, they wouldn't show it to me. Yeah. Because when I was with the um, the tech, he and I had a midwife, he was like, Okay, you need to go talk to your midwife. Never said and that what I'm seeing is not what we would normally see. Yeah. You know, no direction or verbalizing what that person was seeing than going and listening to what the midwife was telling me. I'm not a medical person. I don't understand what you're saying. These I need to see things. Right. And I know we're leaping forward, but that's one of the things that's so cool about CareNet providing those limited ultrasound services. Right. You can see what this is. Mm -hmm. So you figure, so that was December of 93. Um, we had Brooke. It was beautiful. She was such a cool kid. And if those of you that remember the ice storm of 94. Yes. So Brooke was two months old. We were completely electric. We got hit. Both vehicles got hit with the tree. Oh, no. We were living down at Dozier's Boat Dock. Really? 
We actually, that's David's sister. They ran Dozier's Catfish. We had a single wide because we we did we left Van Leer and we put a single wide down in the parking lot, basically, of the restaurant. Yeah. And even a tree went through the, the trailer. Oh, so here I am. Uh, what, Brooke was three months old. Thank goodness we were not in the, because the, it went through her crib. Yeah. Um, and we were over at David's sister and then we got hit with three deductibles. Of course. David was at what, an E5, E6 in the Navy at the time, not making hardly any money. I was trying to stay home with Brooke. Yeah. As much as I could. So at three months, you know, all these deductibles are coming in. I was the only kid that never asked my parents for money. So here I am. I'm like, okay, I'll call. I'll talk to mom. Guess who answers the phone? Dad. Dad. And I'm just like bawling because I wanted to be able to not ask for help. Yeah. And my dad was like, what do you need? And I, he, he sent the money. And I, we paid that back very quickly. But at four months, I'm like, okay, I need to go to work. So I just so happened, um, called, and then I got to do a temp job at Primador, Masonite, Masonite Primador. Yeah, whichever it was called when. So I started out as, I was a, an assistant of Kyle Clark, who was the production control supervisor. Okay. So I was his assistant. And so that was, I was temporary. Actually, I think, did Pam Coons get me that job? Did she really? Probably. Okay, so just no joke, yesterday I, in church? I, yeah. Okay, you heard that story. I told a story about somebody else yes. who Pam Coons. Because I don't know if uh, the the listeners realize, but I, Matthew's one of my preachers. <laughs> um, James Savage is one of my pastors. He's the good one. And uh, Jamie Grisham. So yeah, yeah. I, I have three uh individuals speaking into my life spiritually. So Matthew just happens to be one of them. Yeah, sorry about that. So here I am. Um, I'm at Primdor and I'm just, I'm chugging along. And I, all of a sudden, Cal is, okay, so it was me and Mike Gossett uh, uh, was Cal's assistant. <laughs> okay, and if you're listening and you don't put this together, a bunch of episodes ago, Monica Gossett came on and told the story of um, adopting and nearly losing uh, her daughter, Jessa, mm-hmm. and that whole story. So that uh, Monica is Mike's wife. Yes. And this is one of those lessons in why you can't talk about anyone in Dixon County. The, the six degrees of separation is real. And I know a lot of people. I didn't realize that. So here we are. And Kyle decides that he is going to um, go to a you know, quit and go to another job. So here we are. Mike and I are competing for <laughs> the production control supervisor's okay. position. And voila, I get the position. Uh-huh. So Take here I am. <laughs> I started out as a temp. Yeah. And I worked my way up to supervisor at school. And another thing that, fat, you know, go backwards just a little bit. Remember, I was in school f- to be a medical transcriptionist. Yeah. I met David Cole two months before I was supposed to graduate. Uh, 
So Margaret doesn't have a degree. And he ruined everything. He ruined everything is David Cole's fault. So when I am going to listen to this. Yes. Do you think he's going to shoot me? Yes. He's going to be he's going to interview you next. I I would love to have David. do Yes. But so here I am. um, I'm production control supervisor. And it was a hard job. Just talk to Mike and find out the demands of that job. So at that time, Brooke was probably between three and five. Wait, wait, wait. Did you know Dave Weiss there too? Was that the St. Mary or was that another time? Probably another time. Okay, I don't sorry, remember. Sorry. I, I'd have to see a picture. He was there with Mike. He passed away last year, I think. Oh. Uh, neat guy. Really cool guy. Well, I know that. And we also have to remember that Primdor Masonite was before Christ. Yes. So BC. here I am, BC. And this was BC. So here I am. Um, we're, I was making I was making a lot more money than David at the time. Yeah. So that's where Brooke was in private school, bought a house, bought a car. You know, things were going great. This was the sugar mama stage of life. Yes, I was <laughs> yes. the sugar mama. And then something started happening where the police chaplain at the city of Dixon was also a pastor at Sylvia Baptist. Uh, okay. And I remember David was like, you know what? Maybe we need to to try this out. Because Brooke was in private school. She was learning scripture. Yeah. She was at UCA. Okay. So I'm like, okay, let's It looks go. bad when she learns it at school and comes home and you don't know it. Exactly. You know, I'm that's when the, the no, that's yeah. when the conviction started going, I have no idea these scriptures. Yeah. I I know the basic stories. I don't know the in-depth. So, you know, Brooke is at UCA. We're learning all this. We visit Sylvia Baptist, and it was on a weird day. It was their Baptist Men's Day. Okay. So um, I walk into Sylvia. You walk in as a heathen woman on Baptist Men's Day. Yes. I'm walking in, and people are hugging me <laughs> and telling me they love me. I and I can see the look she's giving. I have yeah. to step back to Western Pennsylvania. You don't do that. Yeah. That is not, that is so unnatural. Yeah. For that's why people from the North are rude. Yeah. Because they don't know you. And if you're coming in and you're hugging on me and you're loving on, and you say you love me, like, do you want something? Exactly. Are you trying to steal my car? Yeah. So here I am. Okay. And I remember one of the guys getting up and sharing his testimony and saying that at the time I was smoking, I was probably a pack a day smoker. And he made the comment that he gave his addiction over to the Lord. And in my mind, I'm going, what? <laughs> you what? So remember, I'm 27-ish at the time. So... We went back. We went back. The Lord was working on me, um, started opening my eyes to things. And then I was having a really hard time at work. I was, honestly, I was forgetting to eat because I was so busy. I had a bout of dehydration. Mm. I blacked out in the shower. And I blacked out taking Brooke to school one morning. Okay. I stopped. And I called David, and he came in the police car and took me to the emergency room, and they pumped me IV fluids. Um, and then I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, scary. And then I went, got to work the next day. I was in a production control meeting because I was the I had to do the meeting, 
I had a panic attack. I've, I couldn't breathe. And I said, hey, I'm going to have, something's not right. I'm going to run to the nurse real quick. She checked me out. She's like, Margaret, I think you might be having a panic attack. So she let me lay down, help me breathe, shut the lights off. And I, I took about 20 minutes. I went back up to the meeting and they were still sitting there. They were waiting on me. E. I was like, I'm done. So I went to my supervisor. I said, I quit. And he said, hang on. What if we move you to inventory control? I was like, fine. I went home. It was probably five o'clock. I slept. I woke up the next morning and I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. I went into my office. I was the very first one there because I had the best of both worlds. Yeah. I was front office, but I was also plant. Yeah. So I could, if I was tired of those people, yeah, I went out of the plant. Right. I was tired of the plant people. I went upstairs or I went up in the office. And I did have an office of my own. I opened the door in my office. I walk in I, and I'm just like broken. Yeah. I don't know what to do. All of a sudden, I put my arms out. And I, all I knew to say was, Jesus, I'm yours. Yeah. I put my opened up my computer, typed up my resignation, and handed it in. And, of course, my supervisor was like, Margaret, you know, we can, we can give you $10,000 more a year. And I was like, I don't want your money. Yeah. I said, the Lord told me to quit. Yeah. And you cannot argue with him. You can take that up with him if you yeah. want to, but I'm not going to. So this was April the 25th of 1999. I remember that day like you would not believe. And that was the day that the Lord completely 180'd me. Yeah. 180, right? Yeah. Because if I do a 360, I'm still going in the same direction. Not going to lie. Every time I hear that wrong in church, I die a little bit. Yes. <laughs> okay. 180 is the one to change. So I did a, comp and it's like ever since then, I've just been holding on. So how old am I now? I'm not answering that question. You know, I am out, you know, and then I was so hungry for the word. So that was April the 25th. Okay. Um. The whole time that Brooke was at UCA, but before then, I couldn't go to any of her functions yeah. because I was stuck yeah. there. I remember that day, then the, I think it was the next day was right around like Mother's Day. I went to her Mother's Day program. Oh. Um, and then on May, oh gosh, is it May the 11th or May the 12th? I can't remember. It was a day in May. I smoked my last cigarette. So I went completely cold turkey. Wow. And then I, after that, I just lived life for about three weeks. And then I thought, you know what? I might need to go get a job. Yeah. So I go and I, it, it had to be, was Pam at Manpower? Oh, those places changed names so many times. I can't remember. I'll have to ask her. It might have, I think it was Pam. I go and what do I do? I need a job. I go to a temp agency. And as I'm in there doing my typing test, Jackson Academy is looking for a medical transcriptionist. Oh, huh. Okay. I don't have my certificate. Yeah. But I had that background. Yeah. So the day I was there... Taking the test, the next day I went and I worked at Jackson Academy. Okay. Took a third of a pay cut. That's I mean, right. it was like, yeah, whole. 
and then I I worked in the 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 front doing the dictation, and then like two months in, Ted Gorsney, yeah, Pat Gorsney's um, late husband had me back in the educational wing. It was called okay. Blandy Academy. Okay, it was for Bill and Andy. I don't know if very many people know that it was the educational wing of Jackson Academy, which is a residential treatment center for young young boys. Yeah. So I was there for about a year, and that's where I learned how to study the Bible, how to pray. The job was 40 hours a week. Yeah. I could get that done in like 20. Yeah. So... That was my growing. So I had a year of growing. And during that time, I learned about CareNet. Yeah, okay. And I went and I wanted to volunteer. So I went. I was like, what do you guys need? So during my lunch break, I would go and answer the phones for them. Uh, That's how you got started. So they did ask me to be administrative assistant. Okay. And I I couldn't. I said, I can't take a pay cut. Yeah, I've already taken too much of one. And then the client services director came about, and Chris saw something in me. I don't know what, but she <laughs> saw something in me, and it could be that I was just eager. So I started at CareNet when I was 29 How cool. as client services director. My first day on the job, and you would appreciate this because we've just come in out of the banquet. Yeah. My very first day on the job, she stuck me on the phone asking for underwriting <laughs> for the banquet. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize this was part of the job description. <laughs> That's how they always get you at nonprofits. But, and I didn't- And, and other duties as a side. Yes. <laughs> so that's how a girl from Western Pennsylvania ended up in a faith-based nonprofit. But what I had to do is when the Lord got a hold of me, he also opened my eyes to sanctity of life and what it truly means to be a voice for life. I hate the word pro-life sometimes. Yeah, because it's become a foil for um, a political party or ideal rather than um, something meaningful because politics are not real and meaningful. Right, because my heart back in Pennsylvania in the mid 80s I could have walked into Planned Parenthood very easily yeah and not for a second had the abortion yeah because it wasn't instilled in me right I wasn't I don't even know how to explain it there was not that seed of understanding so when I run into somebody and they've either had a past abortion or they um, know of somebody that has a past abortion, you do not know yeah. how it brought them to that decision. Yeah. And I can, now I did have to do a lot of repenting, saying, Lord, like I said earlier, if I had any say in someone having an abortion, yeah. please forgive me because I did not understand. Does that give me a pass on it? Absolutely. No, but it, it does let you. I think a thing that gets missed in entirely too many conversations, especially, again, the political stuff. Right. But no, no, no the church is implicated here, too. 
we don't want to talk about anything that led to this decision. We right. don't want to talk about the socioeconomic implications or the educational implications. Mm-hmm. We don't want to talk about the justice issues. Right. Or God forbid we talk about how abortion affects women of color and minorities at, what, three times the rate? Of, yes. Uh, I think that number was right, of uh, of majority people. Mm-hmm. And that's there are real issues there. And sometimes we just want to make it be about this one moment of decision, which right. is important. Mm-hmm. But it is not a decision that's made in a vacuum. Um, and what I'm understanding, and of course, Matthew, last year at our banquet was introduced as the the sex guy. Is that how it was? Sex expert. Thank you very the much. Sex expert. I now have a trophy. Oh, I heard about that. <laughs> but what I'm uh, what I'm realizing is, and you can reach that... me at one nine hundred. Bring it back, Matthew. Okay, Bring okay. it back. Hey, you brought it up. Um, the abortion is just the consequence of an action. Right. We've got to go back to actually respect of self mm-hmm. and respect of others because if you do not have that respect of self you're not going to have respect of others well that sex expert line um, didn't come from my wife sadly it came from um, from you which ooh, there went my job um, not me but, well no but uh, the reason that happened was you had me oh. speaking with you yes. doing these abstinence talks and one of the things that I appreciated about these talks and these education that we've been able to do in schools and churches and all right. over the place camps uh, has been uh, we've taken first Corinthians 13 and then we we uh, used the message yes so no one realized where it came from. And we talked about the difference between real love and fake love. Right. And even in what you've shared with me this hour, um, the the relationship you had for five years on again, off again, wasn't real love. Right. Uh, it didn't it didn't go the worst places, but it could have. Right. Um, and helping people, the line that you keep using, I love it, Karen, so very much, is we're not pro-life, we're pro-abundant life. And mm-hmm. that means having healthy relationships with healthy boundaries. Right. Um, with, with healthy people, you know. I mean, you, that's your spiel. And you have to be an example. You have to, because people are looking, you're in leadership. I'm in leadership. Do I take that lightly? Absolutely not, because I know people are watching. Yeah. They're watching for direction, but they're also watching because they want you to mess up. Mm-hmm. I just them plenty of things to watch. Right. And that's where, you know, David and I, we're both. I mean, we're in leadership. Good grief. Between David's career in law enforcement and recruiting and your work in leadership in the factories, leadership in CareNet, in all, Rotary, all the things that you Right. Do. I mean, you guys have joked that you used to have to ask uh, Montgomery Bell to give you like a room in the back so you could have date night with no one finding you. Yes, we still have to do that even with David retired. I mean, you can't go to a restaurant because somebody no. who worked there, you have, he has either arrested them. Or you have counseled them about Correct. the pregnancy. Like, Correct. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> you don't realize the the people that you run. I quit asking women of childbearing age, boy, you look familiar. Never. I, I can't do that anymore. So, Matthew, was there anything that I you didn't know about me? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Any <laughs> other questions you have for me? Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, like you said before we got started, if I ask a lot more questions, we will be th- three hours. Right. So, so I, I may call it here just because we can. <laughs> uh, but this has been cool. Yeah. Uh, There's just know. so much that a lot of people don't know when they realize that, oh, 
you weren't always a Christian? Yeah. Or, oh, you don't have a degree? That is something that I've had to come to terms with, that I do not have an associate's. I do not have a... Degrees are just pieces of paper. Right. And then I, you know, I have a, a very, very intelligent daughter. Yeah. I don't know where she comes from or came from. Probably my dad. My dad was a chemistry teacher. So it skips a gen- <laughs> Okay, yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how mean of a thing I could say to David. But uh, before I say a mean thing to David, yes. I just want to highlight something that you talked about for a second. Your story of coming to Christ mm-hmm. largely had to do with David saying, hey, let's try this thing. Yeah. I think that's pretty significant because I think a lot of people, again, in the South get hung up on evangelizing mm-hmm. and doing things perfectly and having all the answers. But David's thing was there was a chaplain that he didn't hate. Right. Who had a connection to a church. And David said, maybe. Yeah. And that's what his leadership of your faith journey was. Yeah. Maybe let's try. And brother so Tommy, he invested in the guys down there where he would actually go along and ride along with them. Oh, that's so cool. And get to know them and the families and, and things. So that was the stepping stone. That's so cool. Is because it is sometimes it is difficult being the outsider. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people at that church that have been friends since high school. Sylvia is a good place that has a lot of history in this community. It does. And I love the church. Um, but I also know what it's like to be the person walking in the door and being the outsider. Margaret, my wife and I have been in Dixon for 17 years. And, mm-hmm. and I know you've heard me say I'm from Nashville. But what yeah. people who aren't from here don't realize, Nashville and Dixon, this is where we came to church camp. This was this was not our people. Right. This was a different world. And I still feel like an outsider on a pretty regular basis of you know, you'll go to Janine's or, or wherever or mm-hmm. Luke's or, or wherever you, Donna's, and there'll be a group of people who are having breakfast, who went to high school together right. 40 years ago. Um, and that's great. I love it for them. Right. And that's a good thing. It's it's one of the cool things about our community. Sometimes sometimes our community takes a beating for the good old boys network. Right. And there's some truth to that. But what people don't often realize is sometimes the good old boys are actually good old boys. Right. Who care and do things, but when you're an outsider and you don't know the lay of the land, um, it it's a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, 17 years, and I, I know a whole lot of people thanks to my job, but well, one good thing, I'm not from here. And know. I've become one too. I have a lot of spiritual mommies mm-hmm. where when I first came to know the Lord, my mom and dad were 600 miles away. And one of those key people is Miss Frances Talley. Mm. She worked at Jackson Academy and she was one of those. She's a part of my testimony. And I got to see her at the banquet. Was it last week? Sure. (laughs) A week and a half ago. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, Um, But see, and then I've got several. Carmen uh, Westerman is Danny Bryson's mom. She was a huge spiritual mentor in my life. She said, Margaret, you really don't need to wear that to church. <laughs> but you need yeah. individual. And I took it. She earned that. There's a huge, what me. people don't get is there's some things that are hard things that need to be said, but you have to have the right to say them. Mm-hmm. I can't parent someone's kids in Walmart, even if right. they're doing a terrible job. 
The only thing I'll do to somebody at Walmart is save their kid from getting abducted or run over by. Correct. Um, there are times that you want to say, dude, if you don't solve this problem, it's going to go some bad places. Right. But not your place. Yeah. She earned that right. Well, I remember when Brooke got married and she was like, Mom, who do I invite? I was like, you invite people that spoke into your life. And she was like, oh, it still ended up being 180 people. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's and that gave her the freedom of, you know what? I don't have to invite everybody. You know, it's funny. I, I, preachers have favorite sermons. Mm-hmm. And nobody liked this sermon but me. Um, but my, one of my favorite sermons the last five years was one called My Council of Advisors. Mm. And I shared uh, stories of probably 15 people who spoke into my life. Mm-hmm. And it didn't mean anything to anyone else because these people didn't speak into their lives. Right. Like, I shouldn't have been surprised that no one else liked it. Mm-hmm. But the concept to me of, of visual, so I printed out all of their pictures and I laid them on my desk. For oh my day. gosh. And it was just kind of neat to kind of think about a question and then sort of hear hear the voice of this minister and this teacher mm-hmm. and this friend and this professor and this neighbor to sort of hear how they would answer a question. Right. Because um, your goal would be, I want to be on someone's desk. Yeah. I want to be a picture on someone's desk. I'm really trying hard to avoid that, actually. <laughs> but, but isn't that awesome that you have that? And you and I go way back. Yeah. Um, I've known you almost as long as I've lived here. Yeah. And I don't know how we got connected on the... Oh, God, I hate you. That's yeah. how. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, I think of people... I think it was Tom Todd introduced me to you. Probably. Um, I think. At the Ministerial Fellowship, I think. Yeah. Those were um, interesting. Those were meetings. interesting meetings. <laughs> oh man! Well, Margaret, this has been this has been super fun, and it's just always neat to see the way that God works in our stories in really unexpected ways, mm-hmm. in insignificant moments that turn out to be significant. Yeah. Um, we we look for Him in the big moments. We forget to look for Him in the little ones. Yeah. And that's been one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast. Well, just think, David and I, we're going to celebrate our thirty third. On November the 24th, and Brooke will be 30 on December the 18th. I know. We're getting very old. Then we're getting seasoned. But I I mean, honestly, Matthew, we could talk for another. There are so many things I didn't tell you. Yeah. Um, That could come at another time. But I wanted it to be more about how I, the journey to CareNet and not all about CareNet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's coming. Yeah, you'll you'll get that opportunity. You know, well, Margaret, thanks for joining me, and friends, thanks for uh, thanks for listening today. Thank you for sharing this podcast with a friend. Um, you know, we don't get paid for this; uh, <laughs> it costs us money. Actually, we are in the hole, no, uh, and we'll always be in the hole. It's not like there's advertisers for this. Um, but the point of doing this is so that these stories get told. Because every time I hear these stories, I learn something about God and I learn something about people, and I hope that you have that experience too. Anywho, um, I'll see you next time. And until then, I can't wait to find out what God's going to do in your story next. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes his love into our stories.